This podcast is a 98 Studios production. Hello, everyone. My name is Joe Morton, and welcome to my podcast, which is entitled A Cup of Joe. This is a podcast dedicated to health and wellness. So we're going to talk about it all, and I love this subject. I'm passionate about it, and I want you to know something. I'm grateful to be a part of your journey. And again, all the different things that we're talking about are going to help you understand that you hold the key and that your success is in your hands and greatness is out there for you. Hello, everyone. Joe Morton here for Cup of Joe podcast. I am so thrilled for this next episode with James Lawrence, the Iron, aka the Iron Cowboy. Now, we're going to be discussing the sport of triathlon today and an absolute legend in this sport. James has, now, when we're talking full length triathlon, 2.4 mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride followed by a marathon of 26.2 miles. Now, James Hold held the world record for 30 in one year. Then he just shattered it in his incredible feat of 50-50-50, which is 50 full-length triathlons in 50 days in all 50 states. In fact, he talks about it in his book, Redefine Impossible. Remarkable, remarkable feat of endurance and logistics alone. And then several years later in 2021, James did this 2.4 mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride, followed by 26.2 mile marathon for a hundred consecutive days called the Conquer 100. And to top it off, he added one more, a 101. James is married to Sonny Joe Lawrence, and they have five incredible children. He's an author. He's a podcaster. He's a trainer, a coach, inspiration all, all around. And I'm so thrilled to have him on my podcast. I'm excited for you to, to hear what he has to say. Let's dive right into it. I'm grateful to be here with the legend, the myth, James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. I was thinking, James, like, how do I introduce you? I mean, like, like we've been friends a long time. Did you I, say this is my good friend, James? This is my good friend, James. There you go. Um, we actually go back many, you, many years. Do you remember when we met? Oh, yeah, yeah. On Alpine, Alpine Loop. Loop. Yeah. Okay. Alpine I, I didn't, Loop. I didn't know if I had that right or if I was remembering it wrong. Yeah, I'm like biking. And of course, you were ahead of me. But I'm biking and I'm like, hey, that guy's got an American flag and a Canadian flag tattooed on his on his leg. Uh, so I, cu- I caught up to you and we just start talking and we discover that we have family friends that go back into the 70s. In the 70s. I mean, your grandma was, uh, in, we, we went to church together, but we were neighbors and she came to our house all the time involved in the same business. So it's just such an honor all these years later. I know. It's so here funny. we are in a podcast. And, and we've done some crazy fun adventures together. Crazy, crazy. Adventures. And you, you've, you've been incredibly supportive. You've, you've come in and out of my adventures as I attempt the impossible. And it's just, I, I I'm grateful that you've been able to show up and have the freedoms and whatnot to come and support me. And, and it's, 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 it's truly an honor to, to have this conversation. Cause I, like I said, you've just, You've, you've been an insane support to me over the past decade plus in the, in the crazy challenges that we've done. Oh, thank you. It's been my honor. Incredible. Like I followed you along the way. I mean, look, at, we got, you, you, you created the world record for half Ironmans and then you shattered that by doing the, I think it was the next year you did. Two years later. Two years later, you did the most Ironman distance 
in one year, 30. 30 through 11 countries. Through, through 11 countries. And then a couple of years later, you thought, you know what? I'm going to do something that no other human has ever done and would probably n- never do again. I mean, I'm talking insanely impressive 50 iron distance events in 50 states in 50 days. Yeah, it, that was a crazy journey. Um, not, Which is kind of cool. You started in Hawaii because that's kind of where that. Well, yeah. So a lot of people ask like, oh, man, that's super impressive physically and mentally. But how did you do the logistics? The logistics the, was the, And that's what a lot of people like glaze over or miss. That that part was even more impressive to me than than the rest of it. And it's, it was kind of cool. We, we, had to, we had to make a choice logistically planning this thing like, okay, do we start in Hawaii or, or finish in Hawaii? Because finish in Hawaii would be a cool story. But then I was like, okay, we're reliant on commercial airlines at that point to get to Hawaii. It's an island. Mm-hmm. And I, in my head, I was like, okay, if something goes wrong, something out of my control, it's easier for me to do a reset after Hawaii and Alaska two days than it would be to do a reset after 48 days. And so then we flipped it and said, okay, we'll start in Hawaii, go to Alaska, meet the team in Washington, and then start to navigate the lower 48. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And then- if that's not enough, you decide you're going to do, and there's a lot in between that, by For the sure. way. I'm just yeah. kind of skipping ahead here. You're going to do a, a Conquer 100, Conquer 100. Yeah. You're going to do 100 iron distance events in 100 straight days. But on top of that, you decide, I'm going to throw one more in. Yeah. 101. Well, and there's, the, like you said, there's a lot between those two things. So much. And, the, and there's, there's a lot of reasons why we did the things that we've, we've done, and we can get into those. Incredible. So take us back though. When did yeah. this all start? Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'll throw in there. Uh, you decided to climb Kilimanjaro on a mountain bike, which yeah. I've hiked Kilimanjaro and it's insane. I Yeah, we were the first group to summit. Ever do that. Summit Kili on Ever do that. And uh, Fiji and you decided to take on adventure racing. Yeah, world the world's toughest race. race. Anyways, take us back to that moment. Where it all started? Where it all started? Well, dude, it's crazy because, you know, a lot of people- Because you don't just, like you said, you don't just wake up one day and like, mm, I'm going to do a hundred yeah. iron distance events in a hundred days. That doesn't happen. So society right now gets trapped into looking at headlines and then they, they, they put somebody in a box and someone would look at our headlines. And, and I say our, because everything we've done is with my wife and our five kids. Um, someone would look at our headlines and say, okay, that guy's genetically gifted- He's different because that's not possible. And the reality is, is for the, for the longest time, people were like, oh man, you're different. You're genetics or whatever. And, and so they convinced me that I had this super, superhuman power. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go get all the genetic tests done because I want to know. And I went and got all the tests done and, and the, the results came back and I joke and I say, I'm an average white Canadian because it's true. I don't have a single genetic advantage. And, and those headlines that you're seeing that were created were literally decades of, of work and foundational work to get to that point. And then to your question, where did this whole thing start? It started with, uh, we live in Utah and on Thanksgiving, uh, Orem city does a Thanksgiving four mile fun run. And my wife said, Hey James, we should go do the four mile fun run. We had a couple little kids and I was like, that's not possible. It's not fun to run because I was a gym goer and I looked physically fit. I grew up a wrestler and she was like, no, 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 it'll be fun. I promise. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so I, Get a pair, of, get a pair of running shoes, and get on the start line of this thing, and I, I take off like I'm shot out of a cannon, and by the first mile, I'm exhausted, and then I start looking around, 
and I'm being passed by women pushing their kids in strollers, like having Sunday afternoon conversations with their friends. And I was like, this is not good. And went to Thanksgiving dinner that night. My wife is like, dude, you're pathetic. I could hear Sonny Joe Yeah, she would say that. She did say that. And she said, I'm signing you up for the Salt Lake City Marathon. Figure it out. It's in six months. And then uh, just downloaded a free program online and did the best I could. And obviously got injured in the training block, and which is why I coach now and say don't go from couch to a marathon. There's steps in between. Um, but ultimately had a terrible experience for that. Uh, but then I had a friend who was doing triathlons. And I grew up in Canada and cycling and triathlons aren't very big. And it was right in the middle of Lance Armstrong's like highest highs. And he goes, hey, it's the final day of the Tour de France. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And he's like, come watch this legendary U- U.S. cyclist do this race. And I was like, okay. So I go watch the final stage and Lance wins another tour. And then he, he told me what a triathlon was. And I was like, man, that sounds interesting. And I didn't know how to swim. I didn't own a bike. And so I just kind of like started to dive into this community and the sport. And I really fell in love with it. And for a long time, a uh, couple of years, I did just did like all sprints, fast, intensive, learning the sport, diving in. And then like anything in life, whether it's in business or family or as we continue to show up on our journey, the goalpost moves and more becomes possible based on our past experiences. And so that goalpost kept moving and I kept learning and gaining experience and knowledge. And I'm like, okay, what's possible now? Hey, can I beat that time? Hey, can I, can I improve on myself here? And then you find the next distance Olympic and then you do the half Ironman. And then it's like, okay, the dream to do one full distance Ironman. And then I did that and I was hooked and I was like, okay, that was amazing. That was challenging. I had, I did a lot of things wrong. How can I do that better? And then I start going down this rabbit hole of, of, of personal um, ceilings and mental and physical limits and truly what the human body is capable of. And a few years ago, we did 101 consecutive 14,000 plus miles, no days off a quarter of a year of 140.6 miles a day. And you, you, like, like you just said, you don't wake up and go, man, I'm going to do a hundred Ironmans. It starts with struggling through a four mile fun run. And, and I think that's a, beautiful message. And if you're sitting, listening to this conversation right now, it's like, you're going to suck when you start anything. I actually, when I speak on stages around the world now and I show this picture of me in my very first ever triathlon and I'm, I've, uh, I'm, I'm gripping to the side of the pool, gasping for air and I've got a nose plug on. <laughs> and I joke and say, nobody would have looked at this picture, this person in this moment and said, that's the guy. Cause it wasn't, that was shatter records. Just yeah. Make history. Yeah. Right. And cause I wasn't the guy, but on any journey, there's a humble beginning and you have to have the courage to start and be okay with sucking and being criticized for doing that. But we live in a really unique world of, of social media where everybody's scared to be judged because everybody's the expert online, right? Everybody's the, the coach, the mentor, and I'm the guy. Well, that guy didn't start out as the guy. He started out making mistakes and learning and growing and putting in his 10,000 hours. Incredible. I'm so glad you said that because I, I, I'm, I think people see that, that moment. And I was there when you finished the 100. <laughs> I was there at that moment, which I did that one with you that day, which you was did. quite exciting. Such a huge crowd. What a, what a moment. Like that must've been surreal. It was, it was scary. Or were you kind of like in a, you know, it's still I, in that zone. I, I was definitely in the zone. Um, I don't remember many parts of the hundred because I had to, like, 
Yeah, you had it, the, it, it became yeah. this camp. I got injured really early on, like day five. And I was I was staring down the barrel of 95 more to go. And it was just this a quarter of a year of like pain management. And and I had to figure out how to separate my basically my soul from my body. And it was I was having an out-of-body experience for quite a while. And and you just wait for that moment to where it's that final day, it's that moment. And I got to re, you know, I got to rejoin my body on that day and and have the experience firsthand. I mean, it was re- it was really really cool. So I do remember a lot about day one hundred. Um, but again, I knew that we were doing one hundred and one. And oh, you already knew by that point, eh? Yeah, by about day ninety six is when the when the concept came to be, and we it's kind of a funny story because we were literally on day like eight, and I'm like at the beginning of my suffering, and we had two two, two young men that joined us for kind of all of our journeys. We call them the wingman, Casey and Aaron, remarkable young guys. And, um, I guess we're all not so young anymore, <laughs> but early on Casey was like, Oh dude, wouldn't it be amazing if me, you and Casey or me, you and Aaron, uh, meaning Casey, me and Aaron, we did just the three of us a, a day one Oh one. And I said, Casey, shut your mouth. Don't ever bring that up again. You will be fired. You will lose our friendship and we're done forever. And uh, he was like, okay, I get it. And then about like day 94, 95, I was like, hey, Casey, do you remember the conversation we had around day eight? And he was like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, I think it's possible. And it's interesting because on day eight, I had 92 more to go. And that seemed like 10 Everests, right? But when you have, when you've got six to go, it's like, well, I only have, I only have six to go. What's one more. But when you have 92 to go, one more is a lot. It's a lot of Everest. And so the, the only thing that changed was the perception and perspective in that moment. And then it was like, okay, now that conversation really started. And then we didn't tell any of the public or anything. We just showed up on day one one got in the pool where nobody was swimming and just went live on Instagram. And it's kind of like this buzz exploded and it was an amazing moment. And so, but that, but is that, the, I've learned like one of the books I want to write is I want to call it perspective because that's dude. Life's fake. Life is a hundred percent fake. Like it's just, everybody's walking around on this earth, experiencing it from their perspective and the experiences that they've had that have molded and created their version of reality. And I don't know. I, I, it'd be so fascinating if we could figure out the technology. Like I could like zoom into your head and look at through your lens right? Because we all look at it in such a different, unique way. And the problem is, is like, there's, there's a couple of production people in this room and there's you and I, and we we're all sitting in this room at the same moment right now. But the way that we got here was very different. And, and it's, it's interesting because in life we're sitting around judging everybody, how they're handling the exact moment that we're in, but we have no idea their knowledge and experience that brought them to this moment. And so, you know, we'll get into this probably, but I just ran with a, a Down syndrome boy that has, uh, oh, he has, he's Down syndrome and he, I, he needed a guide to run the Chicago Marathon and his whole concept is 1% and, and his is be 1% better every single day. And I take it a step further. I'm like, what if, what if everybody had 1% more compassion and empathy for those around us? Because we truly have no idea their experiences that form their perspective and their perception. Love that. And could you imagine if everybody just did 1% more compassion and empathy, the ripple effect that that would have around the world? Incredible. Wouldn't that be crazy? Incredible. 1%. 
It'd be a butterfly effect. Yeah, it would be, be so massive. beautiful. Yeah. By the way, congratulations! You just did that on yeah, just Sunday. on Sunday. Yeah, that must have been beautiful to do it with. Chris. <laughs> it was Chris. You did, it, by the way, uh, James has a pod. You have a podcast. Yeah, the Grit Show, and you had Chris on. Yeah, uh, and, one of the earlier episodes. Uh, one of the earlier episodes. For sure, it was a beautiful episode. So, so the so the and so to, to have you take on to go yeah. to to go to Chicago is so cool. To, well, you want to talk about ripple effects? You, you know, I've really learned that if if you're showing up in your life and on your journey, you have no idea the people that you're impacting. Like you, we have no idea who's on the other end of this podcast. If 10 people are listening or if a million people are listening, but it doesn't matter how many are listening. You're looking for the one person that it impacts and changes. And four years ago, like we did the 50, like eight years ago, documentary has been out for a long time. Four years ago, this family in Orlando, Florida, Chris and his parents and his sister sat down on a Friday night, turned on Netflix and the documentary Iron Cowboy came up and they said, Oh, what's that? We should watch it. And they watch it. And Chris, the, the boy with downs, he was 20 at the time. He looked at that and said, I can do one of those. And the dad goes, what? And he goes, yeah, if that guy can do 50, I can do one. And the dad's like, okay, let's, let's figure that out. And, and I've learned through this experience that like down syndrome have a very low understanding of pain. Like it, like, it's a one for us, but to them, it's still a one, but it seems like it's a 10, right? And so he's really gone through the process and, and taught Chris that it's, it's not really an intense pain that he's feeling. He's just perceiving it that way. Mm -hmm. And they've really taught him. And he ended up being the first Down syndrome person to do an Ironman in Florida that, that got him into um, the world championships in Kona, Hawaii. And he was the first Downs to do an Ironman. And then I just chaperoned and guided him through the Chicago Marathon, and he was the first downs to do all six of the world marathons. So uh, Boston, New York, Chicago, London, Berlin, and Tokyo. Incredible. And, and so it was just an amazing experience. I learned a ton in, in the six and a half hours that I was with him. Uh, it, it took a lot of patience, uh, but it took a lot of like, just like being present in the moment. What I really learned at a high level was, was the present moment is so important. And and I, you know, I was heavily, I was heavily uh, informed like, Hey, Chris doesn't know the dis He can't comprehend distance and time. Like we were three miles into this marathon and he's like, are we almost done? <laughs> and I was like, no, man, we got, we got a little, but I can't say, you know, we, we're not, we've got, you know, eight more miles till we're halfway or whatever. Right. Cause that didn't mean anything to him. And, and so I, I kept having to be like, we're in this moment. And I was like, Hey, do you see that bridge up there? Let's run to that bridge. Hey, do you see that corner? We're going to go to that corner. We're going to make a left hand turn. He's like, okay. You know, and so it was really like you, you had to be right there in the moment. And we're all, it's crazy. We're doing two things. We're, we're not forgiving ourselves for our past. And we're looking into, towards the next finish line that's really far away from us. And in life, we won't call it a finish line. We're, we're call, we'll call it worst case scenario. And we're looking into the future worst case scenario. And we're putting all of our worry and fears into it. And we're living there or we're living in our past where we haven't forgiven ourselves for our mistakes. Instead of being right here in the moment, Right. The greatest gift you can do is forgive yourself for your past, worry about today so the tomorrow takes care of itself. Right? Beautiful. And so I learned it like over the six and a half hours, like I need to be right here right now with Chris because, you know, it was so funny because he was like, are, are we halfway yet? <laughs> and I was like, see that sign up there, Chris? Once we get there, we're going to be halfway. And then he's like, and then it's the finish, right? And I'm like, yep. As soon as we get to halfway, next is the finish. And that's as far as he could think. And he was like super excited, not realizing how far we still had to go past halfway but to me it was just really like oh we just have to be present at all time 
because that's the only time when it matters. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is there's only one time that's important and the time is now because it's the only time when we have any power. So true. Right? So true. And I know you live your life that way too. And that's one of the reasons I respect you. Wow. I mean, and, and accomplishing everything that you've accomplished, you've, you've had to learn this. I mean, you can't be focused when you're on day eight or whatever. You can't be focused on day 90. You've got to be focused on the present moment. And there's power in that, isn't there? Yeah. I, I learned this lesson, um, probably at the highest level during the 50 in 2015. I was on day 30. I was focused on the money we weren't raising for charity, the stress I was putting on Sonny, the, the volunteers that were letting us down, the, the hardship I was putting on the wingman, all these things that I couldn't control. And, and I got off my bike. I was in Connecticut day 30. I got off on my bike and I just, I just curled up into a ball on the side of the road. I was like on a median and I just started to cry. And I just thought to myself, look, you have to let go of everything you can't control. And you've put a team around you for a reason. Allow them to be great. Allow them to do what they're here to do. And then you focus on the only thing that you can control. And in that moment, the only thing I can control is turning the pedals over one time. And I thought to myself, can I be perfect for one second? Even in my darkest, most dire moment, can I stand up? Can I get it back on my bike? And can I turn the pedals over literally one time? And the answer was yes. And then I said, okay, can I turn it over one more time? Yeah. Can I do it for 60 seconds? Can I be now? Can I be perfect for 60 seconds? And once I got so hyper-focused on controlling the only thing that I could control in that moment, letting go of everything else that I absolutely could not control, everything changed. And we became stronger. We became a stronger unit. We became more efficient. We started to raise more money. Everybody was happier. And if you take my average time over those last uh, 20 days, they were my fastest. And on the final day, we did an 1136 Ironman. We went under seven minute miles on the marathon and it was our fastest of all 50. I remember when I met you actually in Muncie, Indiana, I went and came out for that particular one. Yeah. And you gave a little speech before we got on the bike. You're like, all right, guys, nobody's allowed to ask me what my next deal is. Yeah, we're next? in the present moment. Yeah. You said, we're here right now. You asked me these questions or if you're negative, that was the other part. We're going to punt you to the back. You're going to punt you to the back. And sure enough, we were, there was a pretty big group of cyclists that day. Sure enough, someone asked that question. Hey, so what's next, James? <laughs> and you like, get to the back. And the guy went to the back. And he probably figured things out. And then, yeah, you know, but, but I thought that that was a really good example that you were setting, like, and no negativity. Yeah. You're like, it's not allowed. It's just not permitted. You know, it's like your book, Positive In, Positive Out. Like it, you, you, man, I just really learned that like words matter and, and what we say to ourselves matters more. And I heard this quote one time and it really hit me hard. And it said, um, you would never tolerate somebody talking to you the way you talk to yourself. And I was like, wow, that's true. Like you just wouldn't tolerate it. If someone came up to us a jerk, you'd be like, what's up, dude? We're, we're dropping gloves, sticks are in the air and we're I'm pulling the jersey over your hand and I'm feeding, I'm feeding you these uppercuts, right? Yeah. But we, we allow ourselves to talk to ourselves that way and then it starts to beat us down. And so, dude, I am like- You're pretty serious about that. I'm dead serious about it. Like I, I will shed friends faster than you can imagine if you're negative. Like there's no room in my life 
for, for negativity or Debbie Downers or whatever it is, like my tribe is positive. My tribe is like on a rocket ship and we're going somewhere. If you're not positive and you can't keep up, you're going to get left behind. And I'm okay with that. And I'm telling you, James, I've seen you practice this all over through your events, of course. In Fiji, in like the jungles of Fiji, you would come out of those jungles smiling. Hey, yeah. how you doing, guys? Dude, it was, it crazy. was awesome. Like you practice this, and I and I love that. I love that. I love to be around you for that. You're just this way all the time. Yeah, I want to put some context around Fiji. So we did this uh, adventure race. It's, it was called the World's Toughest Race. Mark Burnett production. Um, Bear Girls was the host. Teams of four, co-ed, totally outside of our element. And every team has to, every team of four has to have a support person. And Joe being the the amazing supporter, he was like, dude, I'll come do that. I don't want to be part of the, what you guys do. And, and so Joe's job, we had to go through five major camps, navigate in between these camps. And Joe's job was to set up camp and, and have everything ready for us. So we did our equipment change and feed us and being the positive guy that he is and get us going in and out as fast as we can and be efficient. And, and this race was like, Map and compass, jungle trekking, mountain biking, which is the only thing we knew how to do. Um, rappelling, uh, stand-up paddleboarding, ocean sailing, ki- just so many things. Uh, what an amazing adventure. And um, heading into this race, the, the, the racist tagline was, we eat Ironman for breakfast. And our team was composed of all Ironman, world-class athletes, Kona qualifiers. I think we'd done over 200 between, between our, collectively between our, our group and, and, and our support. And uh, I, I remember, I distinctly remember Mark Burnett, big shot Mark Burnett, you know, producer of Survivor and all these major shows, came up to me and he said, heard you've done 50 Ironmans in 50 days. That's cute. And you have no chance to clear this course. And I didn't say anything. I was just like, okay. And, and I could tell that, like, he had gotten the producers and all the film guys kind of behind that, like, we had no chance. And it was a lot of fun to to chip away at this course. Never give up. Just keep chipping away. Keep showing up. We weren't, we weren't the fastest team out there because we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we had the least amount of experience. And we just kept chipping away. And like you said, we came into every camp with huge smiles on our faces because we were so thrilled that we just had this opportunity to have this adventure. And over the course of this, this eight or nine day race, you, you could see the, the producers the film crew, like they shifted from like, we, we doubt you guys to we're fans and we want to see you guys succeed. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was because we, it was because the way it was because of the way we chose to navigate the struggles and adversity. And you, you had a front row seat. Every team was coming in and complaining and tired and grumpy and this and that and yelling at each other. And you're not doing this. And we were just like on cloud nine, just happy to be there chipping away. And you know, it was interesting and, and I know you, you experienced, again, a front row seat of this, the, the Fijian team. Incredible. Incredible. Okay, so this team, they were the host country, so they were given a spot into the race. We're talking least amount of training, the, the poorest equipment, no coaching, and nobody thought these guys were going to finish. There was two Fijian teams. Nobody thought they were going to finish. And both teams finished. They, they showed up for their country. They showed up for their country. And although they were the last teams to finish, they beat every single team that quit. I know. That, that, that voluntarily pulled themselves out of the race for, for one reason or the other. And um, it, it was just so impressive for me to see. 
And, and the concept that I, that I pulled from that is time versus movement. And they understood that if they kept moving, they would make the time cutoffs. And the only way to guarantee your failure is to stop moving. Stop showing up on your journey. Guarantee you will fail if you stop showing up. It's, it's a guarantee. But these guys just like, you know, it was interesting. One of the first teams to pull out of the race was this American badass CrossFit team. Everybody's like, ah, I'm just such a badass. I do CrossFit. I can do anything. And, and, and they, they quit. And, and, and the Fijian team just kept chipping it away. And in America, we, I, my personal opinion is we're just a, a society of softness, just like whiny entitled softness. And these Fijians were gritty out of necessity because of their lifestyle. And they understand at a high level, look, I'm not going to be the fastest, but I'm going to get the job done and I'm going to keep chipping away and I'm going to keep showing up and I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. Both Fijian teams cleared that course. Worst equipment, worst coaching, worst training, beat every team that quit. Wasn't that amazing? It was amazing to watch that, to and experience you, that. And you know what? The other thing I recognized in Fiji, which was a total blessing um, we had to turn in all of our cell phones, all of our technology, and we were like off the grid. And what was interesting is we started in a, in a, in a major town. What was it called? No, Novatu or? Mm, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyways, it was the major city. It's all a big blur. Yeah, still. I know. It still is. It happened so fast. It was so crazy. But the further we got back as a team into the more remote parts of the jungle, guess what we observed? They were happier. So happy. Happier. The happiest people I happiest people I've ever, ever met. Seen. And they had nothing, nothing. And we're walking Super around. smiles everywhere. So everybody happy to see you giving you, they have nothing and they want to give you everything. Mm -hmm. And we're walking around in a society where opportunity is abundant and there's so much opportunity. And we literally can go like in the United States, if you want it, you could print money. Like there's so many different ways to make money. And the happiness level of the United States is one of the worst in all the countries. And I, and I, it was an amazing realization for me, like possessions has nothing to do with wealth or happiness. It, it's, it's your community and who you're around and how you perceive and show up in your life. And these people, the literally the further we've got from the city, the more and more remote we got, the less and less they had, their happiness meter was off the charts. It was one of the greatest gifts I got from suffering in the Fijian jungle. Honestly, some of the nicest people I've ever met. Dude, it was unbelievable. They would drop everything just to help you. to be, And you probably saw it like away from the camps. I saw it in the camps. You were seeing it on the tray uh, out in the jungles where. I, I remember this one day I got, I got, I got, I started to get sick and they, they cautioned you like, don't eat like random stuff, like water and wash. Like you got to make sure you're eating your own food. Anyways, we got to the point where we we're running out of food back there and, mm -hmm. you know, we had to do what we could. And I started to get a little bit sick. And I started to get stomach problems and, and digestive. And anyways, I was, I was in trouble. And I remember walking into the small village and they were like, come into our house, sleep on our floor. We'll give you a blanket. We'll feed you soup, like whatever it takes to make you feel better. We, we want to, we have nothing, but we want to give you everything. And it was just like an unbelievable eye opening experience for me. Like we have so much opportunity and so much stuff in the United States and and we're, we're not happy as a culture. It should really tell you something that there's a, that that's not the root of happiness. So true. My goodness. That's incredible. 
It's so fun to hear this this conversation because we were just so busy at that event. Oh, dude, like, it, was chaos. Running, it was chaos. Running like crazy to try to make things happen. So it's kind of fun to be able I, to- I mean, I remember getting two hours of sleep in the first 48 hours and it was all paddling. Here's, here's the stupid thing about the Eco Challenge and, and the World's Toughest Race. They give you a task and then they like make it so long and tedious that you like want to kill somebody while you're doing it. And the first task they gave us was we had to, we had to sail- uh, these traditional Fijian boats that were terrible. We had to sail them out across the ocean to this island. Well, guess what? No wind. There was no wind oh, on the right. first day. And we paddled and paddled and paddled for hours and hours and hours. And we ran out of fu- fuel and we were, it took us forever. And so we were like really behind times. We had to keep moving. So I remember we, sh- we shut it down for one hour. We sent an alarm on our, our little watches. Uh, we had those like, uh, Really old school style. Yeah, because they that had, just had yeah, an alarm. Yeah. We, we, we were allowed to know what time it was an alarm. They, they weren't all, allowed to have any of these nice. No, 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 no garments or nothing. Took all, took all technology away. And so I remember we were like, guys, we have to shut it down. And we only had one hour because the tide was coming in and going out and our boat would have got stuck on the coral. And so we only had one hour that we could shut it down in that first 48. And you know, you go beyond 48 hours, there's no sleep. You start to hallucinate. You start to see things. You start to get like, your body starts to shut down. Mm-hmm. And, and in these races, you get to choose when and how much you sleep. And, and so we were like, okay, we got to take one hour right now. This was just really an amazing experience. And like, like you said, it was chaos, confusion. It was go, go, go. And so, but we never really got a chance to sit down and debrief during those camps. Like we were in and out trying to catch three mm-hmm. hours, refueling, switching our gear out, getting the maps, dissecting it, heading back out, trying to like make these cuts. Yeah, and, then, and then when it came to market, it was COVID. It was kind of all this. Oh, yeah, the world shut down. The whole world shut down. Yeah. It was kind of like this. We did have a watch party though. That was kind of fun. We did. We got the, party. got the families together. Yeah, and we were able to do that. That. that was cool. So this is, this is a question I got, I get your newsletter, yeah. which I love your newsletter. You get them all the time. And I got it yesterday. Actually it came out yesterday yeah. and I was reading it and it says in there very clearly, you, you make, you know, you get, you got to know where you're going and you use, I'm thinking about this because when you were talking about sailing, you actually use that analogy in the newsletter. Somehow you're like, you can't just leave. And if you don't know where you're going, you're going to show up a derelict. You're going to be somewhere, obviously not where you're wanting to go. You don't, you don't have any destination. Talk about that for a second, James, and all the adventures that you do, you got to know where you're going. You got to have a why you gotta. Yeah. There's gotta be why there's gotta be purpose. There's gotta be passion. There's gotta be a, a reason, a cause bigger than yourself, but there's gotta be a destination. And, and that's the problem right now is everyone's kind of walking around with, without hope really. And, and, and you have to have hope on any journey that you're on. But you know, it's so funny because people set these like huge gigantic goals and then, then they never create the game plan and the roadmap on how to get there. And, and ultimately they'll, you'll end up failing. And, and, you know, and it's the, the easiest example I can use is someone will come to us. They'll be motivated, inspired, and they'll sign up for an Ironman. And then they'll be like, uh, I need, I need help because <laughs> I don't, I know where I'm going, but I don't know how to get there. Right. So the fir- the first step is like isolate where you're going. And then you, <laughs> a lot of times they'll pick or f- try to figure out where they're going. They'll figure it out. And then they really look at it and they're like, well, I'm overwhelmed. I, I can't get there. It's too, mm-hmm. it's too big, mm-hmm. but it, it's never too big that you just have to give the time frame in between the big goal and where you're at today, respect that it needs. And, and all you have to do is reverse engineer it and put all the steps in place 
and then start on day number one. And the problem is, is so what they do is they, they set the goal to do an Ironman. We lay out the whole game plan for them, the, the path. And then they do workout number one and they're like, I can't do an Ironman because I struggled through today's workout. And, and, and that's the whole point. That's, that's the journey. Because you know this, the reward isn't the finish line of an Ironman. The goal is getting to the start line and everything you learned Absolutely. from sign up to, Absolutely. to the gun going off. The, the, everything, everything after that is like a victory lap. Like if you make it to the start of an Ironman healthy and excited, you've, you've done it right. Absolutely. And so they get to day number one and they do the training and they're like, I, I can't do it. And, and this, is the, this is the lesson that is, is applicable to life is we look at the enormity of our goals and everything on our, all of our lists and we go, I only have 24 hours today. And we try to do everything on our list in one day. And when we can't, we get overwhelmed. We get exhausted, we get burnt out, and then depression starts to set in, and then we quit. And, and that's why a lot of people never reach where the destination they're trying to get to. And what we have to do is we have to learn to, like we talked to at the very beginning, be present and focused, do the one thing that moves the needle. If you take care of today, it's going to take care of tomorrow. And if you trust the process, then every single day you gain knowledge, strength, and experience so that you can tackle the next day. And by, the oh, I like that. and by the time you get to the start line of your Ironman, you're a different person because you've shown up and you've executed the game plan all the way there. And so always just take care of it today. There's a great book. It's called The One Thing. And it's, it's, it's removing the enormity of the list. And by doing that, you're going to remove anxiety and depression from your life. And then you, you isolate the one thing, the most important thing that's going to move the needle and get you closer to the next most important thing. Dude, if everybody would do this, like set the big goal, set the plan, reverse engineer it, and then focus on the moment, you would achieve every single one of your goals. As long as you, you, if you associate the proper time frame and the respect to achieve that goal. Like my goal, when I first suffered and, and failed basically at that four mile fun run, a hundred, a hundred Ironmans wasn't in the realm of possibility. Now let's just say at, for example, purposes, I had the crazy outlandish after failing through four miles. I was like, I'm going to do a hundred Ironmans. It still would have been an okay goal in that moment. As long as the goal was set for a decade away from now. And as long as I put all of those benchmarks, Ironman one, half Ironman world record, full Ironman world record, 50 consecutive, then a hundred and everything else in between. And so it's, it's never the goal that's inappropriate. It's the expectation for achieving that goal. And I want people to dream big, but make sure that you create momentum along the way that you have experiences because success breeds success and confidence breeds confidence. And in order to be successful at anything, you have to create successes and wins. And that's how you will ultimately get to those big, scary, audacious goals. I love it. I love it. So fears, you must have had fears along the way. Nobody's immune to fears. With all your coaching, you got coaching people all over the world. What do you do? What? How do you help people overcome those fears? Yeah, I, I think first thing is is we have to recognize that fear is just an emotion, and typically it's irrational. And the number way to overcome a fear is okay, like recognize that we have this fear, and then break it down to smaller manageable pieces until we get to the step that's no longer scary and then overcome that. And again, it's reverse engineering it 
and creating a path, if you would, to overcoming that fear. And so really it's recognizing that you have it and then intentionally putting yourself in a position to overcome it. And, and is it, is it fear that it's danger or it's a fear because it's an emotion that maybe we can't handle or we think we're going to fail or the, the, what, whatever that comes with failure. A lot of times it's not, I don't know how to articulate this properly, but it's, it's like there's fear because it's like dangerous and we're going to die or it's fear because we're scared of probably failing. And most fear associated with failure is irrational. Would you find that that's a lot of what people will hold back? It's just fear of failure. hundred percent. Um, nobody likes to look stupid. N- nobody likes to make mistakes and, and, and nobody's saying this right now, but making mistakes is a gift. And in fact, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. And it's through those mistakes that we learn and become better. Like, like that's truly the path on, on how you live life is, is you have to show up and make mistakes. And, and what's stopping everybody from succeeding is this imaginary conversation. We talked about earlier how words matter. It's imaginary conversations that we're having with ourselves. And it's the bully inside of our head. And people are scared of this bully and the criticism that we're giving ourselves. And so they try to try to put themselves in these like incredibly comfortable situations so that the bully doesn't show up. And and it's the wrong way to approach things. And for me, if I don't hear from the bully inside my head for like a longer period of time, I'm being complacent. I'm not showing up. I'm not pushing my boundaries as a human being. I'm not chasing down the best version of myself. I think it was Ed Milet that said it like your biggest regret is going to get, is going to be getting to the finish line and realize you didn't catch the best version of who you are. Like to me, that that's going to be the, the worst moment. If I didn't, if I didn't like maximize and tap out my potential. And so really, if I'm not, if I haven't heard from the bully inside of my head in, in a long enough period of time, I'm like, Whoa, I, I need to do, I need to do something. I'm not, I'm no longer growing. Cause I believe that we're, we're never just standing still in life. Joe, we're never standing still. We're either moving forward or we're slipping backwards. And we're moving forward by intentionally making ourselves uncomfortable. And we're slipping backwards by seeking out too much comfort. And I truly believe that if we always seek comfort, there will come a day where you will only have the option of discomfort. All of your luxuries will be stripped away from you. You will be broke. You will be homeless you will be struggling at the highest level because you seek comfort and the path of least resistance today. If you intentionally seek discomfort and throw in some enjoyment and comfort along the way, nobody says suffer at all times. That's stupid. Enjoy life, but intentionally make yourself comfortable throughout your entire life. You will have the choice of comfort or discomfort. And so choose long-term growth over immediate satisfaction. Does that make sense? Amen, brother. Yeah. Amen. I love that. Wow. So talk about quitting. How does a person not, you, you, again, you coach all these people. This does not exist in your brain, by the way. It just doesn't, it doesn't exist. It does. There's not, that doesn't, it's not there. How do you help a person with that? What's your, I'm sure you have, People from all walks of life. I do. Have you, you probably don't watch much TV. Um, But like my, 
sometimes my unwind, my check. I do a lot of training indoors too. Like I try to control my environment. I just, I really enjoy, I know a lot of people hate it, but I really enjoy riding indoors on my bike and I'll watch some shows. There's a show, there's a show on right now. It's like a military one where they get these celebrities and it's like, they take you through military experiences. Like about these four, like boot camp type macho guys, they break you down. And, and the, the only way to really get kicked off the show is to voluntarily quit or to not like ex, uh, ex, uh, exude like leadership qualities or like quit on your team or like have a piss poor attitude, really like be arrogant or disrespectful or all these things. Like you got to fall in the line. It's the second season. And in last night's episode, they woke up for day number three. They just woke up to start the day to start the challenges. They ain't done any challenges yet. Two more people just like took off their number, handed it in and said, I quit not injured, just tired, just headed into a hard situation. And it, it, it blows my mind. Like I'm, I'm so fascinated. Like I don't even want to watch the show because I'm so disgusted at these people that are just like voluntarily quitting. And I'm like, they're not learning the lessons they need to learn. And, and you know, it's, it's been amazing because my kids have had a front row seat to mine and Sonny's journey. And, and when we said it, like really one of the biggest rules in our house is you commit to something and start it like a sports team or whatever it is, you, you got to finish the season. Like you got to see it through. Can't change your mind. Can't quit on your team. Can't, can't quit on the coaches. And when you say you're going to do something, you follow through. Now, obviously there's life and death situations and, you know, outliers to every situation. But for the most part, you make a commitment, you stick to your word, you follow through whether you like it or you don't like it. Because in that process, that's when you develop discipline. Disciplines is like crazy buzzword right now. And everyone's trying to figure it out and how to get discipline. And you, you, you can't teach someone discipline. Discipline is the byproduct of showing up, creating routines, developing habits, boom, you've got discipline. Like that's, that's how you get it. You can't read a book on discipline. There's no, there's no secret sauce to like getting discipline. It's, it's making a task, sticking to your word, getting up. And when you don't want to do it, you do it. Creating routines and habits so that it becomes normal, routine-ish. Oh, all of a sudden they've got discipline, right? Perfect examples. You brush your teeth every single day. You can do it. You have discipline in brushing your teeth. Why? Because it's a routine. It's habitual. Just start doing that with all areas of your life. Make them habits, create routines, patterns, and then you become a disciplined person. Discipline is just a byproduct of routines and habits. I love it. And no, there's no excuse for quitting. The, I'll say it again. I Mind-blowing. Voluntarily taking yourself out of a game. If I'm on any of these shows, please put me on the show. Anybody listening that has any power, any weight, put me on any of these shows. This is, this is the first time I've, I've like tuned out a survivor. Like I, I watched the first two episodes and I'm like, this is the, the biggest cast of babies I've ever met in my life. Like whiny. Oh, I just want to like reach to the screen and like slap these kids and they're not learning a thing, but we've got a generation of, of like people that just quit because things become difficult. I, I've got teenage kids. I've got two adult kids and I am not worried about their future at all. And you can see them, they're panicked and whatnot, but I'm looking at the big picture. I'm looking at all of their peers and what they're doing and playing, staying at home and playing video games. And my kids are like miles ahead of these guys only because they understand the concept of showing up, having discipline, doing the work, not making excuses, following through. You show up and you follow through, you don't have any competition. 
We live in a day and age, Joe, a day and age where just showing up and doing the minimum, you're head and shoulders above the rest of the people. Just showing up. Dude, my daughter worked at the, at the, at the, my daughter worked at the pool this year and um, she was a supervisor and it was super frustrating because the, the policy at the pool was, this will blow your mind. You could no call, no show three times before you got fired. What happened back in the day of you no call, no show one time? One time. If you thought about no calling, no show, you were fired. And, and now the workforce is so soft and weak. You can no call, no show. So disrespectful, by the way. One of the worst things you can do three times before you get Incredible. fired. That's the society we're living in today. All you have to do is show up and you're head and shoulders above your competition. This is the easiest era in the history of humanity to stand out from everybody else. The competition is so pathetic right now that if you can't win, you, you got problems, serious problems. Winning is the easiest thing to do today because you just have to show up. And hell, half the people showing up get a participation award. Are you kidding me? We're ruining society by giving away participation awards. Stop it. <laughs> Fail is how you win. That's how you teach people how to win, by failing. One, one person in every category gets to win. Everybody else is a loser. You want to win? Do better. Show up more. Work harder. Incredible. Oh, my gosh. Amen, brother. I get fired up sometimes, Joe. I love it. I get fired up. I love it. Let's go. This is awesome. This is incredible. Gosh. I mean, so much, so much that you've experienced and all these adventures that you are, that you're, that you're doing. And you have an event, uh, on top of all this, you run one of the toughest events in the world. We do. We have a, an event here in Utah. It's called a uh, starvation X try. We're part of the X try world series triathlon program. Um, and it's really challenging races, uh, full distance triathlons. Um, and we are the only U S qualifier for the Norseman world championships in Norway which me and my team had an opportunity to go and race you, last year. And you all finished. All of us finished. We all got to the mountaintop. We all got our black shirts. There's two finish lines. The top guys make the black shirts. Not so great at the white shirts. <laughs> and so I was, I was thrilled that all four of us that went over got the black shirts. Um, but it's a really cool experience. Um, really challenging course, um, point to point. Um, our, our race is a, a beautiful 2.4 mile swim in Starvation Reservoir. A really challenging bike ride over two mountain passes that finishes up Guardsman Pass, which is a seven-mile climb. It's one of the, I think it's the toughest climb in Utah. Um, it's, it'd be a Category 4 uh, or Category 1 or high category climb on the Tour de France. Um, that's the last 10 miles of our race. You drop down into the beautiful ski resorts here in, in uh, Utah, and then the full trail, 26 miles, uh, six, six to 7,000 feet of gain just on the, on the run Incredible. course. Um, and it, it is an accomplishment just to clear our course. Um, we typically have about a 40% finish rate. Uh, so if you want to challenge yourself, you want to know what, here's what's crazy is I travel around the world, like I said, and, and, and the number one question I get is how do I become more mentally tough? H how do I become more mentally tough? The only way to do that is to have an experience to put yourself in a situation where you get to that moment where you get to ask yourself the question, do I have what it takes to keep going? Or am I going to take that path of least resistance, go down the mountain and get in my car and go home? 
And that's, that's one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. It's hard to conjure up uh, uh, these experiences to where you, you have to make that decision. And it's why I'm super excited. I don't know if you know this, Joe, we're, we're doing um, our grit experiences. Yes. And in two weeks, I don't know if this, this will you, drop, but doing one in Kanab. Kanab. Our first one's in Kanab yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's my gift to, to everybody. Um, it's the, it's your opportunity to come have an experience and it's about networking. It's about community. It's about, um, being inspired and learning by some incredible people and, and, and our network and our team. Um, we're going to do some physical challenges that'll push you to that point where you're like, okay, am I going to take the next step? Um, we're going to have some crazy fun, crazy adventures, do a lot of cool things with a lot of cool people. So I'm really excited. Um, the first one's in Connecticut, Utah. We're doing one in San Diego, one in, um, British version and Sundance. And then our flagship one yeah. on May 29th of 2024, um, exclusive to 20 people, um, private Island in the British Isles. And it's going to be amazing. And, and true to the iron cowboy, you're pushing people out of their comfort zones. I mean, this is the whole idea, this grid experience, just pushing them out of their comfort zone to help them get to their ultimate version of themselves, or at least yeah, it's, on the pathway to it. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, it's, it's an amazing blessing to be able to get up on stages, tell our story, impact, motivate. I don't, I hate being called a motivational speaker. I believe I'm, I'm an empowering speaker. To me, motivation is a fleeting thought. And if I empower you, I've moved you to take action. And, and that's one of the greatest gifts and ripple effect. But the problem is, is people get fired up and they, they don't know how to, they don't know how or what that next action step is. They want to do something. They want to evolve. And like I said, we, we live in such a comfortable country that it's hard to conjure up these experiences to, to push ourselves to where we can grow. And so I was like, okay, how can I take this to the next level? And we had our race, but it's like such a hard race. It's like a really small market that, that really can take that challenge on. Um, and so we created these experiences and, and I'm really excited to, to take people through that, to hold their hands, the wrong word, but like be right there to mentor them, to, to, to get them to believe that they can win the conversation they're having with themselves. They can get out of their own way and ultimately create whatever future they want. And we talked earlier about forgiving yourself from your past. And as soon as you do that, and then you realize you get to wake up today, you get to, you get to wake up every single day with a clean sheet of paper and you're the artist and you get to draw and create. Early in this conversation, we talked about how life is like, it's fake. And we get to, we get to, we're adults, Joe. We get to do and be whoever we want every single day. Like that's the beauty of it. And every single day, if you forgive yourself and you want to find the ultimate version of yourself, you have a clean sheet of paper every day. And you, you get to rewrite your own history every single day and, and dream big. And so, so the purpose of the grid experiences is to help people start winning the conversations inside their head, to give them that hope and that courage so that they can get going on their path to whatever greatness means to them. You had one of, you had one spot available. I saw it on Instagram <laughs> for Kanab. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was exciting. Were you able to fill that yet? Uh, we haven't filled it yet. We just announced it yesterday. Oh, um, the, the team may, the team may have, I don't know, but it, it'll fill up. It always mm. does. No, no, Kanab sold out and we, we, we made a, a miscalculation on uh, where we could sleep people and we had one spot. Mm. Mm. And and I'll, I'll attest to your event. I did half of that inaugural event that yes. one year. Yeah. Wow. And I did have the guardsman pass you section. Did. Whoa. That was intense. You're, you just did the Norseman. I did the Norseman and our race is harder. It's harder. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to tow the line this year. 
Um, and tackle our own courses. You're going to do it yourself. So anybody that wants to show up in Utah on August, I think it's August 3rd. August 3rd. um, Anybody that wants to show up in Utah and get your shot at the Iron Cowboy. You got, you got it, man. Come take on our course. Come take on me. And, uh, and hopefully Joe, hopefully Joe's on that start line too. I know he, I know he's hinted, he's hinted or alluded to it. The desire is there. We got to see if if Joe's a busy man. We got to see if it's, it's yeah, I, I, I moved it intentionally off your daughter's birthday. You did, didn't I know, you? I did. I I moved it with you in mind, thinking, okay, I got to remove that excuse from Joe's table. So, so is this kind of like a an Iron Cowboy, like taunting me a little bit here? It, it is. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Being challenged by the Iron Cowboy. Let's go, baby. Okay. All right. I like it. Is I that like. A, is it. that a commitment? I think that that is definitely a commitment. Wow. You're pushing me out of my comfort zone, James. I love, it. I love it. Let's do it. Let's go. I love it. Let's go. Um, Welcome to the grit show. Is what we say. That's right. That's right. I love it. And that's one thing I want to. I want to maybe wrap up with this idea. Is I've had a lot of people uh, speak from stages, as you know, over the years. Yeah. And I love it. I'm not. But James, you continue to show up over and over and over again. And, and, and by doing so that inspires me and countless, can you, countless amount of people. You're not just talking about something you did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Okay. Dude, you're doing it. Okay. So listen. you're doing it and you're going to do your own event. Yes. Yeah, so which is arguably the toughest event or uh, one of, you know, Oh, it is. It's the hardest full distance th- that I've ever done or seen anywhere in the world. Uh, for sure. You want to experience, come to Utah. But it's so funny you just said that because, so Casey's one of the wingmen, one of my best friends. He's the race director for Starvation. And him and I have been racing competitively against each other forever. And I was I was looking for the projector cord for the event for Canab today because it's next week and I'm getting all the stuff ready. Um, and I found a box of certificates and awards and stuff for my triathlon career. And so I pulled it out and I started to go down memory lane. And I, I took a picture and it said Salem champion 2006. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to Casey and Casey replied back and he said, Oh, you, you're going down memory lane. And I said, no, I'm throwing all this shit out. And he said, why? I said, because I'm done talking about the things I did and I'm looking forward to the things I'm doing. And I literally tossed it all in the garbage 15 minutes before coming to this show. Wow. Yeah. Be- because it was that. Let's I'm go, like, baby. Because I'm tired about living in the past and nobody, nobody cares what you did. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing now? And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean up it and do 200 Ironmans. It's like, where are you challenging yourself? And for me, like, I'm, I'm growing my business. I'm trying to help other people. I'm creating these events. I'm like, that's making me uncomfortable and that's pushing me in an area that I'm, I'm trying to figure growth out in. And, and that's what I'm doing now. And now, yes, I talk about the accomplishments and with purpose that I've done in my past to teach lessons so that I can help people get out of their own way. And in that context, it's okay. And, and I think I'd be a hypocrite if I was talking about those things and, and not progressing in my own journey. Like earlier, earlier this year, Joe, you were there, dude, I stepped in the ring. Oh, is incredible. Dude, I stepped in Oh my gosh. I took a fight. I've never boxed before in my life. And they called me up and they say, hey, will you be the main event 
in our event, uh, at, at our boxing event, the biggest event in Utah that Utah's ever seen for boxing, will you be the main event? You've got eight weeks to prepare. Brother, that was incredible. Well, so immediately I said, no, I am not doing that. And it's because I was scared. It's because I was scared of the unknown and I was scared of what people would think if I got in that ring and I lost. And in 24 hours, I called them up because I knew I had to say yes. And I had to say yes because it made me uncomfortable. It made me scared for an unknown outcome, something I could not control. And for the next eight weeks, I like figured it out. And I tell you, it was an incredibly emotional journey the first time I put on sparring gear and a human being was in front of me. Dude, I'm a lover. Like I grew up a wrestler, but I'm a lover. Like I love people. I want to see everybody win. I'm, a, I'm more of a hugger than a puncher. Like I, I wasn't a guy like going to clubs and, and trying to get chicks and, and knock guys out. Like that wasn't me. And so I put on my headgear, got my gloves on and I'm staring across the ring. And the first time they put me in the ring, they put an experienced girl in front of me. And I couldn't hit her. And it's not that I couldn't hit a girl. I couldn't hit another human. And for the next, like, what felt like an hour, it was probably three minutes, but what felt like forever, this chick peppered me in the face over and over again. And my coach is yelling at me in the corner, hit her back, punch her in the face. And I went home that night, Joe, no word of a lie, I got in the shower and I bawled like a baby. I couldn't hit another person. And, and the feeling of getting punched in the face, I didn't know how to handle it. And so I had to go home and I had to reframe. I had to gamify it. I was like, this is a sport. We're looking for points. I'm not trying to intentionally hurt this person. And over the next week, I went on this journey and this experience to where um, I overcame that fear of what anybody thought. And it became this like incredible experience. And you were there that night. Dude, when the Iron Cowboy came out, boy, Iron Cowboy came <laughs> okay. out. Okay, <laughs> okay. So I, I, I walked to the ring. I've got this like incredible walkout music. That was I, cool. And I'm in the ring, and I'm just like, I am locked in on this dude. And, and I was, I, we were the main event, and so I'm sitting backstage, and I'm watching everybody like come out really hot, and then they would gas, and I experienced that a lot in training, and so I was like, okay. I switched my game plan because my coach had said, like, go after him, shock him, flurry him, get in his head early. And so, like, literally in the corner, I made a split-second decision, and I'm like, I'm going to let him come at me. And he backed me onto the ropes, and Joe, he beat the shit out of me for 15 <laughs> seconds. And the whole crowd went silent, and they're like, oh, yeah. my gosh, this is not the Iron Cowboy. And the ref steps in. And in the first 15 seconds of this fight, I got a standing eight count. I got two black eyes and a twisted jaw. And the ref brings us back out. And my wife and my dad both said, after I had a conversation with them after the fight, they said, the moment you stepped off of those ropes, I knew it was over. Yeah. They said, I could see you flip the switch in your head. Oh, and dude, I, and it I, was exactly that. It was exactly that. And I don't know if you saw it or oh, witnessed it or I recognized it. it. And it was, it, it so was my game plan. I was like, I'm going to let him flurry me. And because in that, in that exact moment, I had the realization that's everything he's got. That's as hard as he's going to hit me. And I stayed on my feet. And then, as you know, the total time, 33 seconds, fights over, dude's landing on the canvas, knocked out. 
Dude, it was almost the, off the. Well, I nearly knocked him out of the ring. The, the, once I saw the this footage is, of the angle. This was everyone in the crowd were like, oh. <laughs> and <laughs> the I, Iron Cowboy clicked on. Dude, I flipped a switch at 33 seconds and, and dude gets knocked out. And it was the most. I, like, we've talked about some big finish lines, some major accomplishments. That moment when you mano a mano, incredibly vulnerable in that moment, and and you connect with that shot and he drops and the electricity that rips through your body and 2000 people erupt in that moment. I've never felt anything like it in my life. Joe. Wow. Like it was, it was so incredible. And your kids are all front row losing their minds. And then all of a sudden you're like, mother effer, I am the iron cowboy, <laughs> you know? And then it's, it's, what's crazy is, is I can't imagine now, and I've had this experience a lot, like looking back on the moments and allowing that fear to say no. So now every time I'm scared, I'm like, dang it, I have to say yes, because it's something I need to learn in my life. And so I'm looking for opportunities to, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. Damn it, I have to do that. Because that's where you learn, that's where you learn and grow. I love that. Right? And so if we all approach life like, oh, dang it, I have to do that because it scares the hell out of me, we'd be better people. Dude. I'm coming after your event. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to do it. Cool. And I'm stoked that. Uh, that Don't edit that too. out, guys. <laughs> you heard it here. He's showing up. That Absolutely. Should be, that should be the outtake. Absolutely. For sure. Thank you. 100%. Thank you, James. 100%. For being here. Love you, brother. This is like amazing to be able to hear this, yeah. uh, this wisdom. So a couple quick questions at the end. Yeah. Out of the three disciplines, what's your favorite? Cycling. Landslide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's my Zen. Uh, and, and you know, you go on like a two hour run, dude, you're beat up. You go on a five hour bike ride and you feel refreshed. Like it's, it's amazing. The difference that you, the, the, the mileage you can cover, the landscape you can see the low impact on your body, the conversations you have with friends, the dreaming. We haven't talked about dreaming. Dreaming is one of the greatest gifts that society has forgotten how to do. And I love going on my bike rides because it allows me an opportunity to get outside, disconnect and dream. And, and it's where I, it's where I get the most granted. something come to you when you're. Yes, absolutely. So I start every, every long bike ride. I start with a podcast to just get the information flowing. And then the middle section, I sit in silence and I just allow inspiration, ideas, dreaming to happen. And then as I start to fatigue, I throw on some upbeat music to get me to the finish line. But that, that's, that's the three phases of every bike ride that I do. And Sonny gets a little nervous every time I go, hey, I'm going on a five-hour ride. Oh, man. What's going to come back with? Every single one of my ideas, adventures, concepts, life-changing moments have come while I've been riding my bike. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, you're in the present moment, too. You're, like, you're right there. And so inspiration is going to come with that yeah. present moment. Um, out of all the countries and all the places mm. you've run and you biked and you swim – Favorite country. Do you have a favorite country? Do you have a favorite area to, you know, it's, it's interesting because every single day on the 50, I'd get asked, what's your favorite state you've been in? And I wasn't lying when I said this one, because it's where I am right now on this part of my journey. It's the furthest I've been. And so I wasn't lying. Um, and so that, that's, that's an easy cop out answer. But in terms of like countries, like similar, similar uh, thought process, Every one of them was unique because of the experiences and the people that I got to meet in each one of those countries. Um, but I do, I feel really connected to Europe. I mean, I know Europe's not a country. You take it easy, everybody, relax. Um, 
It's filled with countries. I get it. Um, but, but I feel a real connection that like my grandma was born 1901. My great grandma was born 1901 in Polish Ukraine area. The borders moved a lot. So we're not sure. Immigrated over on my dad's side. My grandmother, great grandmother was born in Scotland and England. And so I've got, that's where my roots are. And every time I go over there to race or speak, I'm like, man, this is like, like a vibration that I've, that I've never felt before. And so I feel a really strong connection over there. I love Germany, Switzerland, um, Austria. I love castles. I loved, I've loved racing in Scotland. Um, yeah, just, just, I've been, I've just had some really great moments. uh, Norway was beautiful. Iceland was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, I just spent a week in Denmark. Uh, Sweden was amazing. Finland was cool. Like just all of Europe. I just, I, I can see myself like in a few years to say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm out for two, two, three years. I'm going to go, I'm going to go tour around. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, James, for being here. hundred percent. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining on this podcast with James Lawrence, the iron cowboy who's broken record upon world record upon world record upon world record. By the way, make sure you get a copy of his book. It's incredible. You'll love his journey. This is the 50, just the 50. That is the 50. And we'll say this, the, the, the documentary from the fifties on Amazon prime right now, but I just saw the final cut for the new documentary from the conquer 100 Mm. and it's coming out early 2024. I'm so pumped about it. And we just submitted our manuscript um, for our next book called iron hope, uh, which is probably going to come out June, 2024. Um, And it's about, it's about the hundred, the, the stories of people that we've inspired and given hope to throughout our entire career and really incredible, tangible lessons and takeaways that we've learned over our entire journey. And so the reason we named it iron hope is because as I've traveled around, that's the one thing that people have lost. They, they've lost hope and then they're just so filled with excuses. So the gift I try to give everybody is to, I'm going to give you something and I'm going to take something away and I'm going to give you hope and I'm going to remove excuses that are getting in, in, in the way of you being successful. So new, new, this book, get it right now. It's redefine Impossible, And then look forward to our new book, Iron Hope. Um, and then the new documentary that's coming out. What's going to be and called James, Iron Cowboy. You truly have redefined impossible. Thanks brother. Over and <laughs> over and over. And then inspired countless amounts of people to do the same in their own lives. Thanks for joining on this episode of A Cup of Joe with James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. Make it a great day. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.